All right, welcome to Equal Time Soccer. I'm Matt Pravratsky, and we have our first full Equal Time crew, a nice roundup show with Mark Pravratsky on your top right, Annie Williams here, broadcasting from overseas in Iceland. So we, we will jump into that first, but guys, thanks so much for joining us. I, I am assuming people know at this point, because I've been spamming uh, Twitter and social media, we're expanding our coverage this fall, and so you two have some new beats for us to do. Um, and some fun things to talk about. Annie, first, let's let's hear some update from the Icelandic Pro Leagues. You, you've been playing games. You're living out on a beautiful uh, island that you ferry into the mainland of Iceland for. Talk about where you're at in the season and how stuff's been going. Yeah, um, it's been going well. We are more than halfway through. I think we have six games left total, and so we will – finish the season. Our last game is on September 12th. And right now we're like middle of the table. Um, we've won some really good games, but you know, we've also lost games that we shouldn't have lost. But overall, um, I think like we're growing as a team, we're doing well. Um, I feel really comfortable um, with my team and the position that I'm playing and, and my own ability. So I'm loving that. Are yeah. you within, Are you within striking distance of uh climbing a few spots or what's what's the get if you're you know if you're a few spots back from the leader do you still have enough available points where if you get hot you could you could climb up um yeah we definitely have room to move up like first and second are in like their places probably by like two games at least and so it really depends on like who beats who at this point so it's definitely going to be interesting at the end like but yeah, we'll see on like how everybody else does in the league. That kind of will determine on like how far up we can go. And we we won't spoil too much of this, but we will we will break people's hearts early that the, the Champions League spot for Iceland is based on the cup, not the not the regular season. And so your team has already been eliminated from there. So you, you all won't be making a run in Champions League. I, I don't want to break anyone's hearts too early, but we we do have to kind of have reality set in for folks who are hoping to see you in Champions League. Yeah, maybe maybe next time. Maybe next time, guys. <laughs> All right, the money's well, still not enough. They increased it this year, but you know, once they get some more investment in there, then Annie will be there. Yeah, and Annie wants to wait until the, the payments are even higher. She's being very strategic about that for sure. So, <laughs> so let's jump in first. One of the new um the new coverage areas we have, and actually, Annie, you're a great example of this, of Minnesota who are playing D1 outside of the state. And Mark, you're taking this on for us. This is obviously sort of a lot stranger than covering a single team, and there's a lot of things that have to go into that. But what are some things that you're looking for in terms of how you want to cover a beat like this where it might be dozens of players that we're kind of hoping to keep track of it's sort of maybe giving a sense of like weekly stats and some individual features for top performers. What are you thinking about? Yeah, it'll be exciting because I know there's probably tons of players we just don't know about that I don't know about for sure. So it'll be exciting to see who we learn about as the season goes on by seeing kind of who's succeeding. But um, we already know some people wrote in some players for us to look at and, you know, we've seen some releases. There's like four or five players that are at really big schools. So it'll be interesting to see if they can pop up in kind of more of the power conferences. There's a player, Paige Peltier at Notre Dame. Um, another player who is really productive actually, and I had not paid attention to 
uh, DePaul Blue Demon soccer, but Morgan Turner is a Minnesotan who's a senior and has scored a bunch of goals, has been all Big East before. And so that'll be, a, I know that Morgan Turner will be someone to watch and I'm excited about that. Um, Boston College has a freshman from St. Paul, Andy Barth. Um, and there's just a bunch more players. So I'm excited to see who pops up in the local um, Summit League as well because they're coming through town to play at St. Thomas. So I'll be really eager to maybe maybe go out to South Dakota State. I think Annie would say it's worth the trip. So that would be exciting too to see some of these local squads with a lot of Minnesotans. Yeah, I think St. Thomas plays at South Dakota State in like early October. So you guys could road trip out there for sure. Get, really commit. I think that one of the dynamics you kind of hinted at, Mark, too, is the idea of some some Minnesotans who leave, leave to go to, you know, a, a perennial contender or a really big school like South Carolina, Notre Dame, sort of big, shiny names. But a lot of Minnesota players also end up in, you know, the mid-major schools like Illinois State or um, the Summit League programs. And Annie, I know for you, we've talked about this before on one of your experiences of there's there's so many players who sort of go under recruited and underappreciated maybe they develop late or they show late or they weren't playing for the right type of club or whatever the politics are but when you're you know when you're showing well at your summit league school and then you're playing against minnesota or even when you're not playing against them is there some somewhat of a chip on your shoulder where it's kind of a hey we can play too just because we're not in the power five we're not in the big 10 is there sort of a vibe amongst you know minnesotans who are like i grew up playing against all those same girls you know i i have what it takes yeah i think it's definitely like with my class that um i graduated with we had like five or six girls that were going to the university of minnesota and so like for me it was like i looked at those girls i played with them for you know maybe a year um, and I was like telling myself, I was like, okay, like I got this, I'm ready to play them. But it was just like, for me, it was like playing my teammates, but right. also. Oh, we can't hear you. It's for my teammates and yeah. We, we lost you for a second, Annie, but we did get the gist of it. We are, this is international broadcasting we're doing right now. So the stakes are pretty high. So this is, this is important. Um, Mark, one thing you mentioned when in the Q&A about uh, Minnesota playing B1 is also into the sort of name image likeness um, question in terms of are players going to benefit by playing at, you know, a bigger program like Minnesota? Will some of them benefit by being in sort of a college town type program? And um, for those who follow our, our Twitter stuff, I attended, you know, a really lengthy session the U of M did. And even the U of M compliance staff sort of hinted that, uh, big urban center campuses might not be the place where players benefit most like college based um, communities might actually be more lucrative for these players because they're more of a celebrity in that market. But for you, what are some things you're curious about seeing, especially with the name image likeness, which is still pretty fresh and all of us are still kind of trying to figure out how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this summer, I mean, um, I'm by no means the top expert on it, but it's something I follow closely just because it's it gets payers, players paid for the work they're doing. So I think it's really exciting. And the NCAA has ruled that in some very defined ways, like players are able to make money on their name, image and likeness. So like some of the simplest ways I've seen this so far, which I thought just looked kind of fun is a new Gophers basketball player I follow, Parker Fox. 
has an order named after him at Sally's Saloon in Minneapolis. So he keeps Instagram posting about people getting the Parker Fox like loaded nachos. And so, and then he also has been, so, and this is the guy who transferred in, by the way, from South Dakota State, I think, Annie, right. uh, honestly, August, or Northern August, State. August, Northern, August. Northern State, he was D2, oh. but he's in South Dakota, so. But he he also has a deal with a clothing store where I think he got some, so I don't know if it's just that he's getting free clothes or just getting money for the post, but like, I'd love to see how players are creative because, you know, it, even as, like, it can be very simple. And I don't think we'll have women soccer players making crazy amounts of money. But, I mean, it's just exciting to see how creative people can be, especially given how social social media savvy all the players are. Like, with Instagram, it's pretty easy to get a sponsored Instagram post up. So, I'm, I'm eager to watch that. Yeah, well... Annie, we need to get your perspective on this because you are already an influencer. We see you rocking like yeah. uh, athletic gear right now. You're like you have, some, you have some deals in the real world as we speak. But when when those folks reach out to you, is it companies that you were already buying stuff for? And obviously, this is this is post your playing career, but you're still really very much in that like very general you know, age range, but for you, was that something where they pursued you or did you sort of float it because you were a longtime customer or how did those come together? Yeah, I think there were like a couple of both. I think that now, like me being in Iceland, there's a different market. And so it's just like, okay, having like companies or brands in the that are only in the US is like a little bit tricky, but um, having like European brands that I've maybe like never heard of or just like, randomly like stumbled upon like that's really where like right companies are like open to say like hey like can you promote my stuff or like i'll send you some stuff promote my stuff and so it's just kind of like yeah based on like where you are and like mm -hmm. your opportunities and when you were yeah. when you were in when you were at South Dakota State, Annie, because like I don't know, when it came out, did it make you turn your wheels at all? Like, huh, what would I have done with that? Like, is there a place in South Dakota in at in where you were at in college that it's Sioux Falls, right? Or Brookings? Brookings. Yeah. What would you have like would you have ideas of what you would have tried to do? Oh gosh. I honestly I mean, since this is a rule now, if I were in college at this point, I would try anything. I'd ask anyone, doesn't matter. Yeah. But I just think that's like so cool. It's such a cool opportunity right now that, you know, like you can be like represented in what athlete, collegiate athlete, like doesn't want to be represented, whether it's for like the benefit that we get or if it's just like get our name out there because, you know, getting our name out there in college is, especially if you want to play pro, if you want to make like business connections, like that's mm -hmm. the gold, like right there. So I would literally would have, try to everything <laughs> yeah is it for you with those agreements that you have now and you don't have to like say amounts but was it based on the numbers <laughs> when you when you well is it based on like when you post you get a certain you know amount of gear or certain thing or is it based on click-throughs where people actually buy stuff or is it a, mi a mix of both or what's it like for the stuff that you work now um it's like a little bit mix of both like some or at least like a company that um I was getting uh, a couple pairs of like shoes from they yeah. just kind of like were like hey here's this like try it out and then just post about it and so right. it wasn't even like about anything they just like knew their product was good and like was like okay i'm gonna send it because i know you're gonna love it and right. so it just kind of like differs depending on 
you know, like the company and how big it is. And I would say like, especially with me right now, like I'm not going to get the huge, big sponsors or anything. It's just going to be like a lot of like small business or, Mm -hmm. you know, like whoever else wants to like broaden their platform using like same soccer player playing in Iceland. So, (laughs) and it's, and it's, and it's also easy. It's a really light lift for you. If the deal is like, Hey, we'll send you this stuff. If you post about it, you're like, uh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) So that's uh, another topic that Mark talked about, especially with uh, the Minnesotans playing D1 is kind of the idea of how much will St. Thomas come in, shift some of our sort of export dynamics, because one dynamic I've heard from uh, parents of like younger players is the idea of our our Minnesota club stars not getting a, enough attention from the U, the sort of are you defending your borders type vibe, whereas Mark said in our Q&A, that exists in every sport. It's not a soccer thing, and it's not it's mm-hmm. not even a women's soccer thing. Um, but especially with St. Thomas coming in, I think it changes some of the dynamics, and, and you have a great perspective on that having played in the league where they're going to be landing, but also just – in general, what are you what are you sort of curious about with them joining the Summit League and um, and their impact they might have both in Minnesota and just in the regional you know D one landscape? Recruiting wise, first. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I think like recruiting wise, I was actually talking to um, Brock Thompson, the head coach at South Dakota State, and he made a really interesting point. And he was like, recruiting wise for us, I don't know how much business they'll take from like a school like South Dakota State or North Dakota State or any like college in the Summit League or in the Midwest that's like more of like a college town, like Mm -hmm. smaller town. But um, he mentioned that he could definitely see um, University of St. Thomas um, being like appealing to also to the players who like Drake, Marquette, um, Loyola Chicago, Mm -hmm. and even like Denver just because they get that urban – urban you're in the city you're in the midwest um mm-hmm. yeah and so like from a summit league standpoint i think it might have the biggest effect on denver and especially like minnesotans getting recruited to go to denver because now they have you know like a school that's in an urban place like even if they don't want to go to the u they have a private school that's playing in the summit league and so yeah right i mean and the funny thing is my assumptions about St. Thomas being able to capture talent is partially just because the way I perceive the St. Thomas student body and I interact with St. Thomas for my job job. And it's like, I think the St. Thomas student body and their target student in general actually pretty cleanly overlap with a lot of the sort of upper middle class expensive club soccer scene in Minnesota that's very suburban. And so part of my thought of why they might do well is just because a lot of the students they already get just as students are sort of the same, you know, women who would go there, you know, for soccer if they want to consider playing. And so it's it's just like, you know, the expensive club soccer scene is sort of a very suburban uh, vibe where I sort of project those those women as being interested in maybe going to St. Thomas. But I think you're mm-hmm. right. I think you're right to point out that it is still different from, you know, going to Brookings are going to Fargo or going to, you know, University of South Dakota is way down in Vermillion places. So yeah, that'll be really interesting. And I think in general too, you know, for Minnesota fans who haven't really followed the Summit League, 
How would you describe the Summit League just in terms of is there somewhat of a you know consistent style of play or is it you know more physical or um, you know is it sort of I think I've seen it be somewhat stratified where the top teams are usually the top teams and then it's sort of folks underneath but you know how would you describe it to someone if they're a soccer fan but they haven't followed that conference? Yeah, I would say just from playing in the Summit League, it's definitely a physical league. Um, it's you have like athletic players just like you would in the you know Power Five schools, um, but it's a physical game. And one thing that um, I think like categorizes Summit League soccer is that okay, you have teams at the top of the table, you have teams bottom. But, like, no matter what game you play, like, you're going to get a good game. If a top team doesn't play well against, you know, the bottom team, no competition. It, you, you know, you don't know who's going to win. And especially with games on Friday and Sunday or, like, you know, like two games a week, it's, like, um, they really turn into, like, mentality games. Of like, okay, who knows how to win? Like, who wants it more? And I think that, like, right. that type of, like, hard work, like, gritty play is, like, what you can see in the Summit League because there's a just, like, a different type of work rate in, um, in schools, especially, you know, like, I'm biased. South Dakota State, love that program. But you can also see it in schools like Denver and um, NDSU and a team who has surprised me uh, lately in this past season has been Omaha. And so I think that there are... Um, and USD is also in there too. Um, but I think that, you know, like as that becomes like the point of competition, more and more teams are like starting to contend and yeah. So I would say just summit league, it's exciting. Watch it for yourself. Mm -hmm. I know you will think the same. Um, but yeah. It, Who's your bigger rival, Annie, South Dakota or NDSU? Uh, for the Jets. Like my year, definitely NDSU. Definitely NDSU. But the acronym competitions, the SDSU, NDSU, of course, yeah. It's, I think, mm -hmm. the Summit League, too, props to them where they're similar to the NSIC where I think all the games are free to stream online. And it's that's just, like, such a big element that I think doesn't get talked about enough where, I mean, you know, I've covered the hell out of the Gophers for, like, five years now, and I still have people asking, like, how do I watch a game? And I have to explain buying a streaming package and then <laughs> and then and then you know it's you either buy a minnesota only package or you know by month or whatever and it's just not um there's a learning curve and so for for leagues like the summit league i just really respect the decision to make it open try and get more fans that way and then you know build your sponsorship base to make back that revenue whatever so yeah um and i think one thing that we've heard from, and especially we had a we had a patron ask about this, and I think it's something that people have a lot of questions about, is what are some of those big hurdles from going from being a good D3 team, you know, a, a successful high-level Division three team, and then for the team, but really almost the individual players themselves have to go from playing in the MIAC to now playing in a mid-major D1. You know, I'm assuming a lot of it maybe is sort of just pure athleticism and physicality or, or you know, pace of play. But what are some of those things that you you think would really stick out, especially as someone who had to make the jump from, you know, high school to Summit League? Where do you think some of those players will have to adjust sort of game to game? Um, First thing I would say that probably not a lot of people think about is the time commitment um, from D3 to D1. And so it's just like, okay, so... If I'm playing DV, D3 
Your start date for preseason is later and you don't have as much of a commitment in spring, but in D1, it's like you're there, right. if not like the whole summer, most of the summer, and mm-hmm. then you have a spring season as well. And so I think that's a thing that gets overlooked is that the time commitment of it all, because, you know, like teams who are together more, mm-hmm. you know, right, could have mm-hmm. more success in some way. Um, but I think for individual players, physicality, absolutely. I remember coming in um, uh, as a freshman in college and I was just, you know, like, getting pushed around, which never happened to me in high school, but it's just like, you have, I know the the game is physical in D3, but yeah. again, like, I think it's even more physical in Division yeah. One. And then um, last key point I want to talk about for now would be like individual, individually is a mentality thing. And I was thinking about, okay, how is this going to be? How are our returners from St. Thomas going to you know, going to show in their first couple games, first season being division one, because I know they have to make the jump. They know how to be successful in division three. Um, University of St. Thomas knows how to be successful in, at the division three level, but I think it's a mentality change of, okay, what do we have to do? What are those little things that could make them a great D3 program and then turn them into a great division one program? Because we had talked about this before. How big is the gap between Division Three or Division One? And right. I think it's in, I think it's in the little things. And such a big piece of that is like mental. And it's like, okay, how are you going to define your team at the start of the at the start of the season? And how are you going to like build off of your idea of what you want your team to be, so that you can ultimately be successful um, moving up? So. Right. It's yeah, I think that I think especially that's such a good point to make because I think um, you sort of don't know until you know. So like a lot of these players who are like really hard workers at the Mayak level and they were like, I'm always doing extra, I'm always doing extra, I'm always doing extra. And they were, you know, earning their spot and outworking everybody and all of those things. And then it just if you want to be that same type of person at division one, you can it's just even more. You know, like we had mm-hmm. um, um, for for Gopher fans, uh, Haley Harkmeyer was literally played at uh, um, one of the Wisconsin D three schools, Eau Claire or something, and then she transferred in as a walk on or whatever she did, and it was even her being on the team was impressive to me. And then during her senior year, she worked so hard; she was actually like a really solid impact sub, and it sort of blew my mind. I was like, "Wow, this is incredible!" But I think, as you mentioned. Just because someone goes D3, and we had a comment from from Joyce Poker on Twitter just then, you know, some players go D3 on purpose where they want that balance, like you're saying, Annie, and maybe they have the juice to play D1. They just didn't necessarily want to make it their entire college experience. So maybe some of those players actually chose St. Thomas, and then they're like, you know what? That's okay. I'm willing to spend two years having a crazier athletic experience than I thought. I'll I'll give it my all. So I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm definitely excited to see. They obviously have a full recruiting class of U1 caliber players and all those things, but I'm really curious to see, like you said, which ones can make the challenge and make that adjustment. Yeah. So, so let's jump in now to our next one is uh, talking about the, 
the NSIC, so the Northern Sun Intercollegiate Conference. Um, I think, I, I don't even remember if I specifically offered this clarification when we added this beat. I think we'll specifically cover the Minnesota teams in the NSIC, because uh, the NSIC is also huge, uh, but has a almost all of the Minnesota state schools. Um, and Mark, in, in our Q&A on this one, you know, you it's a, obviously a big conference, a lot of teams. Um, but also similar to the Summit League, there's some stratification where there's some top programs like Mankato, Augustana, Bemidji, Concordia, and St. Cloud have both shown well. Um, but what are some things that stuck out to you as sort of really interesting things to cover with NSIC early on? Yeah, a couple of things. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely, I was thinking, I was trying to compare it to another women's soccer league that I've like encountered. And I guess it's kind of like the women's super league in England, where there's a few teams that really invest like Arsenal and Manchester city and like some other clubs. And then there's a big difference, but like kind of the fun of it is it makes for really good upset. So we'll see if anyone can topple Mankato. Um, another piece I was really interested in um, is just that last year, you know, the NSIC isn't covered so well anyway, although they have a good like efficient website last year, they played a kind of season and so I'm really curious to hear, you know, how that went, what what type of info we can get on that season. Um, hopefully it was all done safely too, but um, there's a lot of people returning though from the last official season um, who I know like will I'm sure produce based on the fact that they were already producing in 2019. Um, Jenny Vetter has crazy stats. I mean, she led the league with goals twice as many as the last person. She had 20 goals in 24 games which is wild, the second highest had 10. And then she had a teammate, Bryn Easterns, with 16 goals and 10 assists. So, I mean, they just really boss things. But there are a lot of – I was surprised that there was as many, like, contributors from 2019 back. University of Mary had two of the top 10 point getters, like someone who had five goals and two assists in 13 games, Maureen Sullivan. And then Bemidji State has someone coming back who way back then was fourth in points with 10 goals and three assists. So I think there's people to be found um, on a lot of clubs and that's fun. And there should be, I think, some good trips in it. Um, it's a bummer because the most, I think by far the prettiest stadium we found in an SIC is Northern State. And it's for sure one of the farthest trips you could make in that conference. So it looks really nice. We'll see if I have the, have the energy to get out to Aberdeen this fall. I think the and I think the the NSIC uh, is another good example, similar to what Annie mentioned earlier in the Summit League, where the college environment of playing two games a weekend just creates some level of parity on its own because it's such a grind. There, you know, there have been so many times where I have someone go watch a U of M game and it's like the second game of a weekend and it just like can turn into just both teams a little bit parked or like both teams playing really safe or whatever. And so, but it also can lead to those upsets, like you're saying. Um, and yeah, Jenny, well, we saw Annie lit up. She played that that summer WPSL year with uh, mm -hmm. Jenny Vetter down in Mankato. I could already tell she was ready to rep Jenny Vetter. But yeah, what a baller. <laughs> yeah. Very fast. Yeah, she's really fast. I think I think if if folks saw us live tweet the the Mankato WPSL games, I think that team played somewhat similar because of so much of the talent overlap played somewhat similar to the Mankato State team where they play a high line and they really stress you the hell out. And it's sort of this like floodgate situation where if your center backs can deal with constant pressure because they're just so, so good 
then yeah, you might be able to battle Mankato State. And if they can't, you're going to lose 6-0 because if 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 Benner is going to run past you once, you're going to run past you 10 times. And so, you know, Dakota Wendell, you know, all these different players they have where it's just, I mean, Benner is just a menace. Like she is just an absolute menace. Um, having like twice as many goals as the next best person, it's just like, <laughs> that's just absurd. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. I know, um, and another thing, well, actually first we should touch on this. Annie, my sources say, that you were you had some offers from Bemidji State to go up and be a BSU Beaver when you were in your recruiting process. Is that true? Can we confirm this? That is absolutely true. We can, wait, where are we? Here we go. Let's let's, let's rep Bemidji State. So sorry, sorry, Beaver fans. Uh, SDSU came in and stole her to go D1. You, you almost had like what probably would have been an All-American defender. Sorry. Um, what did they do wrong, Annie? What did they do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. SDSU, I, like, I didn't choose it. It chose me. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. I'm that's, glad you avoided sports cliches with that answer. <laughs> that's in a brochure. It's true. It's true. That's in a South Dakota State brochure for sure. Um, I think uh, one, although one thing um, you mentioned earlier, Mark, and this is true, I think, in the Summit League too. There's uh, people who are used to following other Division One sports like basketball or football or whatever, or I think even hockey. Um, they probably think about like scholarship athletics as being really neat and tidy and very universal. And the truth is like programs invest very, very, very differently into scholarships. So at Division One, you're allowed to offer the equivalent of 14 full scholarships. At Division Two, it's I always mix this up. I think it's 9.9. .9. I sometimes I, I mess it up. Um, and but different programs don't actually have that much budget to work with. So, like for example, in the NSIC, like we're talking about, um, I don't know what every college offers, but I know there's huge differences where even some successful programs that we've been talking about maybe are given the budget to offer like four or four and a half scholarships, and then they fundraise to get up to like five, five and a half. And some schools, for instance, are given the funding to do 9.9. .9. So the the difference between some of the investments is what makes some of these sort of underdog success stories so much cooler to someone like me, where it's like, holy crap, they're making do with way less like budgetary investments. Um, and so I've always found that really impressive. Uh, and I know one other thing, Mark, you mentioned in the Q&A, is the ability to feature some of these really sort of cool women coaches in the NSIC, in particular, uh, Greta Arvison at St. Cloud State. She's she's so great. We had her assistant, Jade Smith, who's actually a University of Mary alum. We had Jade Smith on the show uh, in the last year or so. And then Erin uh, Kazmarek Mallet at Southwest. Mark, talk a little bit about her sort of uh, cool background. Yeah, it's kind of a loopy connection to to Annie and Elisue, I guess. But I just caught it. I was really intrigued. I was just looking at the profiles of the coaches. You know, I'm not familiar with the NSIC programs uh, previous. And so I saw that Erin Kazmarek Mallet, who's the Southwest Minnesota State coach, before she coached there, she's been there seven years and been pretty successful. Her past job was coaching the Brookings High School boys soccer team. And so I just really i you know read about soccer every day and i don't think i've ever seen you don't see very many stories about um a non-male coach coaching um a male team so like i just and that's not like a tiny 
town either. It's like, you know, so I was curious. Yeah. So there are stories like that. I mean, also I have, I have to imagine these women are horribly busy running DT programs, not getting paid very much. So it, they may be too busy to talk to us, but it'd be exciting to get the chance. So we'll definitely reach out. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's still like one of the reasons why I've so for such a long time been like militantly outspoken about women needing to get women's soccer coaching jobs is because it's not like they're getting any opportunities on the men's side, even though they very easily could be coaching men's soccer. It's, it's really cool to hear about times where, you know, women actually got a chance to coach on uh, on the men's side just because I mean, yeah, there are differences, but like soccer is soccer. If you have if you have the ability, you have the ability. So that's really cool. Annie, how many female coaches have you had in your experience? Uh, I honestly maybe, maybe one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Not not as very many head coaches, but like definitely had a lot of like um maybe like assistant coaches or like Mm -hmm. um, like older teammates or older women who were more than capable of, yeah. you know, being a head coach and like, yeah, yeah everything yeah. that comes with it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's still really rare in the, in the big 10, there's only a few um, in the summit league. I'm sure there's only a few. I, I actually haven't scanned the summit league. I don't know if there's any. Um, and then the NSIC is like, you know, whatever, 14, 16 team conference. And I think there might only be a few. So yeah, it's, it's we're we're a little ways away from getting to even the acceptable level, let alone the be proud of your conference uh, level. So that's really cool. And Greta at St. Cloud is is just the best. I met her forever ago at a like a girl showcase and she had no reason to talk to me at all. And I was chatting with her and at the time, maybe four years ago, she said, yeah, it would be really great if we had a men's program. Like, it's really funny because multiple women soccer coaches have mentioned that where they wish their college also had a men's program because mm -hmm. it would add to sort of the soccer gravity on campus and the teams could support each other. Um, Wisconsin has both nearby, um, but there's almost no division two men's soccer in the Midwest at all, except over by the Great Lakes. And so St. Cloud State, now this, uh, this fall, will have a men's division two soccer team. And it's the only one in the state, the same as St. Thomas's new division one men's team is the only division one men's team in the state. And so it is kind of just a fun time for college soccer in general too, to have those added programs. But it was, I always thought it was really sort of gracious and cool that like these women's soccer coaches were the one who were like, I want a men's team here. <laughs> Yeah. Probably would help with resources too. I guess if both teams need a trainer, because I bet they struggle pretty hard to get their right. resources. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, so the St. Cloud State men's team might end up having one of the most insane travel schedules and budgets of anyone because they're, I think their closest teams are like Michigan and Illinois. So they, they will be doing a D1 travel schedule for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's jump in now to and talk about um, some of the Gophers stuff. So we saved um, them for last because obviously I'm constantly tweeting about them. But what are some things that you two are curious about for them, like seeing from the um, – or some questions you might have about the Gopher program for the fall? Yeah. Do you want to go first, Annie? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so as we all know, head or former head coach Steph Golan, she was with – the Gophers forever, um, but now since she moved to Missouri, yeah. um, 
with the new, so loss of an old head coach, mm-hmm. we gain a new head coach, um, mm-hmm. and with new players and a COVID year, so with everything going on, what are your expectations for the Gophers I, this year? Yeah, I think um, one thing I've tried to remind folks of is I think uh, no matter how successful the coach is, I think after a certain amount of time, a change, like a change of gears can be sort of um, a nice refreshing thing, especially for the players. Like it, when there's such a long standing run of like this one person dictates basically my entire world. And then to get to have just like a different set of eyes, like dictating your entire life is sort of just like a, at least curious to people, if not sort of interesting and exciting. And I think um, and the same for Steph, like that, you know, Steph was here for so long. And I think her getting to experience a new place is actually a really nice thing for everyone involved. So I actually think there's going to be like a really specific sort of amount of fun and um, sort of energy because I think players will feel like just it feels different, not even better, just different. And so I think I think we're going to see um, them being playing a little bit more free. I also think, to be honest, there's a number of players who will just be really helpful additions. So I think um, we lost Katie Duong to Stanford, those those damn West Coast Pac-12 big-timers, uh, took, took away our, our youth national team star. Um, but she's, you know, she'll be great out there. But we, you know, she's she's gone. There were a few seniors who left, like Athena Kuhn, who were just really big contributors. Um, but there's a lot of new players that are going to be super fun. I mean, we're going to get to see Izzy Brown, who was a transfer from UNC. Um, we're going to get to see some big-time freshmen, like Lauren Donovan early enrolled in the spring. And she's a really good holding midfielder. And the coaches have raved about her ability in training last spring. Kaya Harper is like a, a really um, super confident uh, attacker. She, she was the one we tweeted about had like really aggressive pregame poses in the team pictures, like where she's just like going super hard. Um, I just, yeah, I'm just super curious to see. I would guess, I mean, they will at least be 500. They'll be they'll be competitive. I think if things go well, um, they could do even more than that. I would so I would expect them to be in the conference tournament. Um, you know, the top six, top eight for sure. Um, and if things swing well, they could be slightly better than that. But it's, you know, Big Ten can be brutal too. But I think mostly I think for fans, it's just going to be a little bit more fun um, just because Aaron Chastain was like an attacking midfielder and forward when she was a player. She's the new head coach coming from DePaul. Um, Maya Hayes is sticking around. She was a professional striker in the NWSL. She's an assistant coach. The new head coach is a former pro striker. NWSL who used to coach at Utah and so I, I jokingly when I talked to the new assistant coach I'm like are you guys planning on winning like 10-9 like what's the what's the vibe and she sort of didn't say no <laughs> so I actually I actually think that could be fun just because um maybe that'll mean they'll play you know even a fun press like even as attackers maybe they have a certain type of press they want to run or whatever so I think it should be fun yeah, let's hope. They've had years, I figure, with, like, six overtime games, I feel like. like I feel like I watched four in a row one year. The college overtime rules need to be changed because yeah. and, in play, I'm sure people are sick of me complaining about this, but you can play extra time and still tie. So, like, what's the point? Like, you're just 
adding 30 minutes of wear and tear. So like any here's here's a good gut check for like a college soccer fan. Check your team's like uh, average minutes per game. College is so crazy that a lot of your favorite players probably play more than 90 minutes a game because they play extra time games. Like that's how crazy it is. Yeah, not this year for the Gophers though. It'll be good. Yeah. It'll be good. all yeah. wins, all, all wins, or clear lo- or clear losses. Um, so last year, you I know it was exciting for you. It was exciting for me to get to watch. You got to call Gopher games in the spring season, and so one, I guess, just maybe like I don't know if you have any thoughts on just like how that what that experience was like, and wondering if you're going to get that opportunity again this year, and who you might call it with if you get to do. It. Yeah, we're well. Big time breaking news! I I officially have word that I get to call games again this fall, so that's great. Um, so yeah, exclusive to the outlet that I run, that no one cares about. So um, no, I pulled that out. Right, you pulled that exclusive out. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I do get to call games again this fall. I uh, last spring it was really kind of wild. You know, Maddie Castro and I called games from the TCF Bank Football Stadium, and now it has a different name from their press box facing an interior wall like I'm doing now and watching the game on monitors 15 feet apart, masked up, still in like the heat of COVID. Um, and then the, but the last three games we got to call at Elizabeth uh, Robbie Stadium and that was that was really, really great. Um, and so this, but unfortunately, Maddie Castro is, is far too talented uh, a person, too smart of a person. Go Cottage Grove um, Wolfpack. Annie, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, right. a fellow Cottage Grove uh, grad. Uh, but so, so Matt, Maddie will be going to get a very impressive PhD at Rice in Houston, and so uh, we're still finalizing who's going to call the games uh, with me. But any game on Big Ten Plus uh, will be broadcast by me and a, a fellow or another, most likely a Gopher alum. And a heads up: we are going to try and have watch parties every. Um, every uh, go for Big Ten Plus game at Blackheart in St. Paul so that if folks don't have a subscription, they can go watch it in that sort of back room as well. But yeah, I think the team is going to be super, super um, fun. I think there's a few specific question marks in the starting lineup um, where we'll see who gets asked to play in a certain place. It's worth noting, you know, the head coach started in June and you can't really have contact with players before training camp. And so they reported today and today was like, you know, fitness tests and other stuff. Um, and so she'll really only have 10 days um, before their first exhibition. So seeing where players can fit will be interesting. The one thing I really respect about what Erin said um, in the show I did with her when she started is she said she's not a coach that sets a system and, and no matter who her players are, she has to play a system. She said, you know, theoretically, she'd like to do a 4 3 3 or something like that. But it'll be based on where the players can fit. And so I, I appreciated that because I think especially um, long-time college coaches or like sort of old-school pro coaches can get in this mind of like, this is the system for soccer and this is what we will play. And even if you don't have like the midfielders to play a diamond or the, you know, the wingers to play a 4-3-3. And so I'm super curious. I, my guess is they end up playing – a 4-4-2 with sort of a diamond midfield because the roles are a little cleaner and they don't have a lot of time to adjust, but we'll see. It should be fun. Nice. Who do you predict for the, who's going to be the leading scorer? That one, that actually might be 
be pretty competitive. We've had like multiple seasons in a row where the leading scorer just had a few goals, like where they didn't have a big time scorer. I think um, the definitely the two favorites would be um, Izzy Brown, who's coming in from UNC um, and should have a, a really solid ability to score some goals. Um, and then <laughs> Mark's writing it down. We'll see. And then, uh, and then Kaya Harper is just a really sort of, um, uh, really sort of high high end talent who should be able to score there. I think there still will be a lot of Gophers who get on the board. I think like Sadie Harper, Kenzie Langdock, um, Maddie Baker. The she's like six foot five, uh, and she was medically um, she wasn't able to play last spring. I'm still just like internally obsessed with seeing her out there because. Everything I've heard from the coaching staff is that she's not just like a set piece target. She's actually really creative on the ball and like shit and is really um, like goes for it in the final third. And so I'm like obsessed with seeing her out there. Um, she also had some of the best poses during media day if people were following Twitter. Um, but I think I would assume Izzy Brown and Kaya Harper will probably end up with the top amount of goals. But I would expect a lot of players to get on the board like. E. Harper is just a natural scrapper. She'll get on the board. Ken's Langdock, like those type of players. Sophia Bowman, who was more of a box-to-box midfielder last year, but I think maybe we'll get to play more as a 10. She's just such a beast and just really loved. Towards the end of the year, she kept really going downhill, just like like slicing through defenders. And so she really started taking chances from way out. Like She was getting really confident. So I think it should be fun. Cool. All right. Well, we have reached 45 minutes. We've covered a good preview. Uh, folks can make sure they, they check out the Q&As. I'll link to them in the show notes of Annie talking about St. Thomas, uh, Mark talking about the, the NSIC, and also Minnesota, Minnesota playing abroad. I'll remind folks again, if you know of a, a player or a coach, you know, a Minnesotan who's um, at the D1 level in another state, I'll include that survey. We're obviously going to do our own proactive thing too, but um, if you happen to see this, uh, you're the most helpful person we can have. So that would be great. Um, Annie, we look forward to seeing you in person, but good luck the last uh, handful of games over in Iceland. Yeah, thank you. That's great. And Get some rest. It's late there. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we're, we're keeping Annie up all the way until 9.46 p.m. So she it is like needs to get her rest. She's a professional athlete after all. So thanks so much, you guys. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for joining us. Hey, everybody.